everyone. This is your host, Dr. Tommy Mitchell from the Mental Health and Wellness Show. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing a woman I have known for many years and I have great respect for her courage and just making the best use of very tragic situations. Lisa was a content mother, wife, and healthcare professional until her 17-year-old daughter, Katie, was killed in a car accident. Her life changed in that moment. There were times she didn't think her family, her marriage, or even her own sanity would make it, but she held on and persevered. Over time, she has learned that life can be good again and that there can still be joy. Thank you, Lisa, for coming today. I Just talking about it just brings emotions because as a mother, I wasn't a mother when your daughter had passed, but I felt the pain, but it's even more real now. So thank you for your courage. So I'm going to ask you a question. What have you learned in your journey through grief? I've learned a lot of things. One is that I am way stronger than I ever thought I was. I've learned that grief is not a passage through these five neat little stages and laid out for us. Yes. That it's messy. And we go through some of these things repeatedly over time. Grief isn't linear. It's not something where our healing gets a teeny bit better in incremental stages every day or every month or every week. And yet, if we look back on our grief and our journey, we can see how far we've come. But it's kind of like the roller coaster that does the ups and downs and dipsy doodles and loopsy loops. It's messy and it's really hard. Um, I think any of us that have had any training in the grief realm are all very, very familiar with Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's theory. And um, unfortunately, grief just doesn't work that way. I thought as somebody who'd worked in cancer care for 30 years, I thought I knew a thing or two about grief until it happened to me. The other things that I've learned about grief is that it's okay to laugh and it's okay to be okay. And that in time, we do learn how to carry our grief with them and that there can be joy again. It's um, sometimes the first couple of times we laugh after we've had these horrendous losses, we just think, what's wrong with me? But then we realize that it's part of our healing is learning to carry our joy and our grief together. Yes. And you know, you mentioned that some people have a problem with laughing, like they feel like it's wrong. Do you think it's because they feel guilty when they shouldn't be happy because they've lost their loved one now? Is that part of it, the mental process? Can you explain? I would say that there's two parts to that. Uh, and this is just my observation, but I think one is our society sucks mm-hmm. at grief. Yes. And I think we all have this preconceived notion of what grief and maybe a grieving person even looks like. We don't picture them capable of a smile or a laugh or going to a party. So I think part of it is that we think that we need to be a certain way, that we need to fit into this preconceived notion. And I think part of that is us maybe being a little bit fearful of what other people might think of us if we laugh or experience joy. But then I do think that there is that other thing that you mentioned, which is guilt. How can I possibly be happy? How can I possibly laugh? My child died. And when you think of that profound idea, you do think, my gosh, how can I do this? But I guess part of my healing journey has really been to understand that it's okay for me to be okay. And that I feel like when I smile, Katie smiles too. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I must say, I know our listeners can't see you. You look absolutely beautiful. Like you 
look vibrant. So you're doing something very well. You know, people have this stereotype that suddenly we shouldn't do self-care. Yes, there's a period where that goes out the window in the, right away, but you look great. And there's no stereotype way of the way a grieving person looks. Each person has a different way. Absolutely. And uh, interestingly enough, um, self-care was just cornerstone for my survival. I think I lasted, I've always been interested in fitness and eating well and all of that. I think I lasted eight days. And the little voice in my ear just said, mom, go downstairs and we have a home gym here. And I remember just running and running and running and running and running on that treadmill um, until I felt I could get get through the day. Wow. I love it. Self-care is everything. And mm-hmm. self-care is not selfish. True okay. self-care is not selfish. No. So it's really important. And it's wonderful to have that coping strategy in place prior. It wasn't like you just started exercising after. This was part of your routine. Your body needed it. Your okay. mind needed it. As mm-hmm. for all of us, we need it, but we don't realize how much we do until sometimes it's later in life. For wow. Sure. So how do you keep going? I know you're strong. You know, you've pivoted in your career. You've, you're a coach. You're an author, which I know takes a lot of work without the grief piece. How do you keep going? You know, I, I've always wanted to bring Katie forward with me as I continue on my earthly life. And I always want to make her proud. So by doing these things, by writing a book, which basically it doesn't just outline my journey, but it, I really believe that it's a nod to her and, and a way to honor her. I know it sounds completely cliche and cheesy, but find ways to make this world a little bit better. I agree. That's um, not cheesy. I live by that. You know? No, that's... It, unfortunately, Katie died at a very dark section of the road where we live here. And I had to get a little bit down and dirty with, with the city planners and mm-hmm. fight tooth and nail to make sure the lighting was improved at that section of the road. Helping girls who really can't afford graduation gowns have a beautiful graduation and just doing these things, this heart work really just helps me get through every day. I love it. Heart work. I love it. I, I don't know if I've heard that word used that way. So thank you. So what can you say that the woman, let's say, you know, she lost her child recently mm-hmm. and she's in front of you. What would you say to her? Well, I think there are some things that one grieving mom can say to another grieving mom, and that is that you will survive as impossible as that might seem in the moment and that you are not alone. It is so such an isolating feeling in so many ways. Logically, we know in our head, you don't have to read too much in the news to know that you are not the only one who's lost a child. And yet it feels so much like that. And I think the best advice that I could give to any new grieving mom or or any mom that's been on this journey and feeling very isolated is to make sure that they reach out either online or in person when COVID restrictions are lifted, just to connect with other grieving moms and to share their story and, and to find that support where they can. Definitely. Your perspective comes like a mother, but there's also the father involved, right? Mm-hmm. What do you have to say to them? Because I don't know, some men have challenges expressing themselves really in a healthy manner, right? Yeah. So what about the father who's going through this? His child, whether an adult, newborn, you know, teenager like Katie was, what do you have to say to him? Well, I really think that dads are, are sometimes forgotten and can't even tell you how many times that people would ask, you know, how are you doing, Lisa? And my husband would be standing right beside me and I would watch him and buddies would walk by on the drive, stop and chat on the driveway and they'd talk golf and they'd talk work and they'd talk guy stuff. Very rarely did any of his best buddies who are really great people 
people ever reach out and say, you know, how are you doing? But I would say that regardless of how dads, men, or or anybody shares their grief, shows their grief, dads and men grieve every bit as deep as moms and women. That is some terrible myth that somebody started at some point in time. Fit as much as we do. And I would really say the same thing. Find someone that you can share with, that you can talk with that has, you know, maybe it's a little bit further down this path than you are. Definitely. And to all the men out there who have lost family, loved one, their child, I know Lisa and I will make sure we reach out to also the men too. Because I know I have been guilty because I can think of someone which we both share a common interest in who lost her young son and he was young. I think to myself, did I reach out to the dad? And I, mm. I don't think I did. Like I did for the family as a journal, but not specifically. And yes, you're right. It's something in our society that I believe we pretty much all have been guilty at some point, right? Of course. Like, at some point. So we now that we're aware of this and you're bringing the story, which is so dear to your heart, to this public platform, we should do the right thing and make changes. Absolutely. And just uh, on, a, on a side note, like if men are forgotten, I think the siblings are also forgotten. Yes. Even more so. Yeah. And I always try and bring that into conversation with parents because I think it's very easy as a parent who's lost a child to lose yourself in the grief and be so deep in your grief that you unintentionally can make the remaining child feel that they were not as important or they were the one that should have passed or that they'll never measure up. I remember reading this in the appendix of a book when I was doing research for my own book and my heart literally fell into my stomach and actually that changed my grief journey as well because at the time Katie died, she was 17 and we had a 15-year-old son at the time who's now 21 and doing amazing. But I just thought I never want him to feel that he wasn't as good or that he couldn't be there for us, that he wasn't good enough to help us through our grief. So I think that that is a huge message for grieving families as well. Thank you so much. I believe that relates to the term survivor's guilt. Sometimes those siblings, especially, they feel like I've heard it from others who've lost siblings. They feel like, why them? They were the smarter one. Why? Like, I should have been there to protect them. I should have done something. But that's not the reality. Life happens. Life can be cruel. Well, that's why they call it an accident, right? Yes. Because it wasn't anything anybody did. It just happened. Wow. You are, like I said, so amazing. You're so calm. You are. Well, I've had had over five and a half years on this journey. So it, yeah. it does get, you know, that roller coaster that you ride through grief. It's like, I like to say it's like a seven or what is it in the U.S.? The Six Flags amusement park where it's oh, yeah. just an Same. insane <laughs> thing. And you're crying and you're screaming and you want to vomit and you just want to scream. You just want it to stop. And you still continue need to ride that roller coaster in some ways. But in time, I would say the roller coaster I ride now, it's still got ups and downs and loopy loops, but it's more like the, the kids' roller coaster. You know, you can kind of see those tough turns coming up and, and you've been through this a few times, the birthdays, the anniversaries and the hard stuff. So you, you build up skills over time. Mm. Your toolbox gets a little fuller. Can you share your toolbox if you don't mind? What do you do? How do you get? You know what? I would say it changes. Um, like I said, in the it really self-care is paramount. Connecting. I have an awesome social circle of grieving moms. I know that sounds really sad and dark, but it's not. They're my people. We can talk about all the stuff that I can't talk to other people about. And I just really have a strong faith. And my faith
faith is maybe a little bit more intricate than other people. I believe in God, but I also believe wholeheartedly in the spirit world. And I know that I can't see Katie anymore. I can't hold her, but I also know that she's right here. And she, I mean, even from a scientific standpoint, we cannot destroy or create energy. Energy can only change forms. And I choose to believe that Katie is just living in the next realm. She's on her next adventure and we will catch up when my time comes. Wow, that that really touched me. I agree. I believe in God and I believe in more than what meets the eye. And she will forever be with you and your family and the lives of people that she touched. Wow, very, very powerful. Now, we're going to kind of switch the topic just a little bit, but it's still about grief and loss. You know how some people may feel like, oh, their loss wasn't as bad as someone else's. Like, for example, the woman that miscarried, that never got to hold her child. Mm. Like, how would you talk to her? Because they, it's a different space. It's still loss, but it's different because you don't have those memories. You have the hopes with the child that you dreamed of, like the nurse etc. But you didn't even get the, any of it. What would you say to her and then to her partner? You know, honestly, I have not been through that kind of loss myself, but I would say that their loss is every bit as painful. And in fact, in some ways, perhaps even more painful than my journey. I always say that I was blessed with 17 and a half amazing years with my girl. She was healthy from the moment she sprung out until the moment she passed over. And because of that, we got to enjoy so many holidays. We got to enjoy so many, I mean, she was a competitive dancer. So we traveled a lot with that. I had 17 and a half years of blessings with her. And I know, sadly, there's so many women that either miscarry or that don't get to bring their child home from the hospital. And my heart breaks. I think that in some ways that might be a great loss altogether. There is no less than loss when it comes to a child. And unfortunately, I think the realm of, of miscarriage and stillbirth, sadly, those parents are sometimes not even seen as parents. Oh, yeah. And that yeah. really breaks my yeah. heart. Oh, definitely. Really breaks my heart. Definitely. And you know what? They're not even afforded with the same maternity leaves or paternity leave as those that gave birth to a child full term, right? Yeah. So that, it's sad. That's terrible. Uh, now, we're going to talk to a special parent who, let's say they had one child. Mm-hmm. And the child is now gone. What would you say to that parent? You know, interesting that you should ask that because that within my social media circles and with the women I work with, this is a common question, I guess. And it's a tough one to answer because for, I would say the first two and a half to three years, I put my feet on the ground every single day because of my son, because of the boy that needed me and I needed him. And I honestly don't know if I would be in the same spot without him. But I would say, you know, you still need to live. You need to live for your child and with your child. I think part of the survival part of losing a child, whether you have more children here or not, is finding out how to bring your child in spirit along with you and to find your reason to survive. Because I think like anything in life, no matter what our challenges, we need to have that why. Why to keep going. Yes, for sure. The purpose, like we need to have a purpose for why we mm-hmm. get up every single day. Yeah. Wow. So for those who are listening that would like to talk more with you or work with you, how can they reach you? Hopefully the best way at this point is to go to my website where you'll find links to all of the one-on-one small group free events that I do. 
And that is www.lisakbame, which is spelled B-O-E-H-M.com. Awesome. Your book, can you tell the readers a little bit about your book in case it's something that they want to pick up? I would love to hear. For sure. Yeah. So uh, interestingly enough, about six months after we lost Katie, as I said, she was uh, a competitive dancer for years. I kept having this recurring image in my head. It was almost like um, an awake dream, but I could see these dancers with these suitcases. And I would never have considered myself a writer prior to this, but something prompted me. I pulled out my laptop and I literally started typing. And within 10 minutes, I had this incredible short story in front of me and it was called The Suitcase. And The Suitcase was all about this man who comes to my door and drops this horrible, ugly, heavy suitcase in my hand. And not knowing what to do with this thing, I lug it around everywhere. It's awful. It's just awful. You know, it sucks the the wind out of me as it lays on my chest at night and I can hardly haul it around. And and then towards the end of the short story, I end up zipping the the suitcase open and and actually being brave enough to open this thing up fully. And inside of the suitcase is everything that defines love. It's beautiful. It's got everything in there that makes me smile. And what that suitcase is um, symbolic of is grief. And how the man that came to the door was actually the police and the coroner that came to our house that night. And so grief is really horrible on the outside. But in time when you can look inside of your grief, it's really all of the things that, that you love about your child and that you will always have those things. Anyway, that short story became the cornerstone to my book, which is called Journey to Healing, A Mother's Guide to Navigating Child Loss. And the whole metaphor throughout this book is really the journey, right? And I didn't want it to be my story all about Katie because I think what parents are looking for is what's in it for them. Like, you know, how does this book help me and my journey? So really, I interviewed 31 other moms for my book, and it's actually an action-based book, I would say. At the end of each chapter, there are small baby steps that the reader can take to take that tiny step forward in their own grief journey. And it goes full circle from really that first moment to learning how to laugh and learning how to have joy in our lives again. Definitely. You know, Lisa, what came to mind when you were talking about grief and just grief is a reflection of love. Absolutely it is. Right? Mm-hmm. We grieve because we love you. If we didn't love you, we would not grieve. So it's sad and sinister it is. There's also a beauty in it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel you wholeheartedly with your hands, your feet, everything you have embraced. And I thank you for your courage today. And I thank you for being consistent in the message because I know I follow you on social media and I see your posts. I see you, especially on Instagram. And we'll share all our handles in the show notes for those of you who are listening. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. And I think that this is such an important conversation. I think, as I said, as a society, we've got a long way to go on the topic of grief. Definitely. We'll be definitely expanding this topic on grief. I have a season that's dedicated to grief, whether it will be, you know, losing a child as a teenager or as an adult or a stillborn. Like we, there's, we've got to redefine the stages of grief really and flesh it out so that those who are going through it can actually connect more and know that it's not in little boxes Mm -hmm. like A goes to B to C to D 
And like you said, roller coaster. Yes, indeed. So thank you and God bless you. So to our readers, I thank you for sharing this podcast with me today. Till next time, this is your host, Dr. Mitchell from the Mental Health and Wellness Show. Thank you.